Maybe you've seen it on Facebook this week. I saw it several times from different uh, friends, right, if you use the term loosely. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I saw one that said, it's Saturday, and he is in the grave, but Sunday's on the way. I've seen these words superimposed over a a picture of an empty tomb, printed underneath a crown of thorns. The solution to Friday is Sunday. The sorrow of Friday won't last long because Sunday is right around the corner. Now, we don't usually put it that way at church on Easter Sunday, but we do something else. I've heard it a little bit this morning. If I were to say, Christ is risen, risen you wouldn't respond. Yes, he is risen indeed, or indeed he is risen, depending on your tradition. It it is a, a wonderful tradition, but as traditions sometimes do, it opens an avenue for misunderstanding. When we say Sunday's coming, or when we respond, he is risen indeed, we might think that the first Easter Sunday started this way. We might think that the followers of Jesus, seeing their hope die on a Roman cross on Friday, just shook it off and said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Uh, We might think that the followers of Jesus all made their way to the borrowed tomb on Sunday morning, saw that it was empty, and after one of them shouted, Christ is risen, The others replied in thunderous unison, He is risen indeed. But that's not how it happened. Even Bill's story this morning with the kids shows us that that's not how it happened. In fact, the passage from which we get this tradition of He is risen indeed, this phrase, comes from Luke 24, 34. From Luke 20, sorry, Luke 24, 34. Um, some of Jesus' followers were traveling on this road to Emmaus. And Jesus, the risen Jesus, though they don't know it yet, is traveling with them. He shows up and he has a conversation. He reveals himself to these travelers on the road to Emmaus. And they return and tell the remaining disciples, the eleven, he has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And some of you know this story and you know that I've left out some important details. Again, if we're not too careful or if we're not careful, we make too much sense out of that first Resurrection Sunday. You see, Jesus predicted his resurrection. It might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. The tomb is empty. He is risen indeed. But I want to back up a few paragraphs in Luke 24 to verse 25. And let me set the context for you again. Some followers of Jesus, we could call them disciples, though they're not the the 11. Remember, Judas is gone, so I'll refer to them as the 11. But some followers, some disciples of Jesus were traveling to Emmaus. 
they're talking with each other about the events that had just occurred in Jerusalem, Jesus' crucifixion and his death. And Jesus joins them, though they don't yet know who he is. And Jesus basically says, what's up, guys? They say, you must be the only one around that doesn't know what's up. So they go on to explain to Jesus about Jesus. How they hoped he would be their redeemer. But that he was now three days dead. And in the Jewish mind, if you're three days dead, you're not mostly dead. You're really completely dead. However, they say some of the women found the tomb empty and some others went and checked it out as well. And it was really empty, but no one saw Jesus. And then in verses 25 through 27, we read this. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. But they still didn't know it was Jesus. They still didn't know. Nearing Emmaus, Jesus indicates to them that he's going to keep on traveling, but they beg him to stay with him, with them, so, they, so he did. Then they sit down to share a meal. And picking up in verse 30 of Luke 24, we read this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Sunday came, but no one was saying, Sunday's coming. We do hear he is risen indeed, but not until after how foolish you are and how slow to believe. And not until after, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And this is the pattern we see in the New Testament, and I believe it's still the pattern we experience today. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he predicts his death and resurrection multiple times in multiple ways. Sometimes he's quite direct. In Matthew 16, 21, we're told from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now Peter, who precipitated these comments by Jesus, by declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, replies to Jesus' prediction of his death and resurrection with this, Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. We get a very similar prediction from Jesus in Matthew 17, 22. So some of these predictions are very direct. How the disciples don't get it, we, we just, we don't know. Or, or maybe we do know. 
But Jesus also makes such predictions a little less directly, but still to us, seemingly pretty straightforward, by referring to his body as the temple. In John 2, Jesus has cleared the temple courts of the crooked money changers, and the Jews respond by asking him for a sign of his authority to do such things. Jesus replies in verse 19 of John 2, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. We see very similar references like this to destruction of the temple and raising it in three days in Mark 14 and in Matthew 26. The third way Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection is a bit more subtle. It's a little bit shaded in an Old Testament reference. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law again ask Jesus for a sign. Jesus replies, this is in Matthew 12, 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We have a very similar conversation in Matthew 16, 1 through 4. The Pharisees and the Sadducees asked Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus rebukes them and says that no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. It all sounds pretty obvious to us. It's Friday, but some Sunday's coming. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But no one understood. No one got it. Not his mom, not his brother, not his disciples. In fact, going back to the temple reference in John 2, John tells us in verse 22, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So why didn't they get it? Why didn't they know? Jesus predicts his death and resurrection in three different ways and in multiple contexts. Why don't they understand? When they see his mock trial, when they hear crucify him, when they hear his cry, it is finished, when they see his body laid in the tomb, when they see the tomb empty three days later, why don't they understand? I'm not sure I have an answer that will satisfy all I can do is read the story, and when I read the story, I see a pattern. You see, no one understands Easter Sunday until God reveals it to them. Ironically, in Matthew 27, you know who does get it? You know who does remember? The chief priests and the Pharisees. They remember Jesus' prediction that he would rise in three days, so they get with Pilate to make sure that the tomb is secure until the third day, preventing his disciples from stealing his body and claiming that he was raised. In Matthew 28, an angel reveals to Mary, and Mary, there's a lot of Marys, to Mary and Mary that Jesus has risen. Then Jesus appears to them and they respond in worship. These two women become the first evangelists, the first preachers of the gospel, 
as they're told to go and tell the others. Mark tells a similar story with a man dressed in a white robe telling the women who came to care for Jesus's body that he had risen and that they must go and tell the others. And I've already covered some of Luke's story of these events with Jesus revealing himself to some of his followers on the road to Emmaus. But remember, it's not until he breaks bread and gives give and gives thanks that they understand who he is. And then they return at once to Jerusalem and they tell the 11 disciples what had happened. And while they're telling this story to the 11, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. But there's no response of Sunday is here or he is risen indeed. Instead, they think they've seen a ghost and they respond with fear and doubt. Until what? Until Jesus shows them his hands and his feet. Touch me and see, Jesus says. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. They are amazed but still don't believe. Jesus then begins explaining about himself from the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then we read this. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. In John 20, Mary Magdalene discovers the empty tomb. And she goes and tells Peter. And Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is probably John, both run to the tomb. They see the burial cloths folded up inside the tomb. And we're told they believe. But they only believe that the tomb is really empty. Mary's distraught until Jesus calls her by name. Mary, then she knows. The 11, again, don't figure it out until Jesus shows them his hands and his side. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, doesn't believe until he puts his fingers in the scars. As I read this story from all four gospel accounts, I see the pattern that no one gets it until it's revealed to them. Well, perhaps the disciples, I mean, they're, you know, mostly uneducated, kind of day laborers. Maybe they were just a bit dense. And at times they were. One of my favorite New Testament scholars likes to refer to them as the disciples. So let's see what happens when someone who's highly educated, someone who went to the right school and studied under the right people, someone who knew the scriptures like the back of his hand, probably memorizing significant portions of what we call the Old Testament. Saul, who will be called Paul, we're told was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age among his people, and it was extremely zealous for the traditions of his father. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, he was blameless. So when does he get it? When does he understand Jesus raised from the dead? 
Well, on his way to arrest Christians in Damascus, a light suddenly flashed from heaven around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? The voice replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go. Paul got up and went, and nothing would ever be the same. It must still be the same. The pattern must still hold. We can have all of the facts. We can have all of the statistics. We can have all of the evidence possible. Okay? I bought Claire a book for Christmas-ish. I don't know. I guess it was a Christmas present. And maybe some of you are familiar with the the author slips my mind right now. But it was a book written by a homicide detective who investigates the crucifixion and the resurrection kind of from that perspective. And he ends up coming to faith in Christ based upon his investigation. All right. And there's a lot of stories like that. And there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of sermons being preached this morning or maybe already preached this morning defending the resurrection. And I can do that, though I'm not, because we can have all the facts. We can have all of the statistics. We can have all the evidence in the world and still not believe that God raised Jesus from the dead unless God reveals it to us. In Colossians 1, Paul refers to the gospel as a mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed to his saints. 1 Peter 1 refers to Christ, though foreknown before the foundation of the world, is now revealed for you. Yet the revealing doesn't always and maybe only rarely comes through a heavenly flash of light or through a voice from heaven or from an announcement by an angel or from a visit from Jesus himself. So how then is he revealed today? Well, first of all, he's revealed through the life and through the preaching of his followers. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11 is just one example It says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around the death of Jesus in our body in order that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are continually being handed over to death because of Jesus in order that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. He is revealed through the suffering of his saints. The resurrection is also revealed through the preaching of his followers, both inside and outside of the church. Romans 10, 14, How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him about whom they have not heard? And how will they hear about him without one who preaches to them. We also reveal the crucified and risen Christ through baptism as we demonstrate being buried with Christ and being raised to a new life. And as we'll see in just a few moments, our crucified and risen King is proclaimed and revealed in the Lord's Supper. 
This mystery was revealed to us, and it is our task as his followers to reveal it to others, to be revealers, to be revealers of the resurrection in our words and in our deeds. So for followers of Christ, I'll say this, we will never embrace or engage this mission of revealing him to the world if we continue in the delusion that we are just smarter, that we're just more serious, that we're just more logical, more committed to truth, more righteous than the rest of the world, and that this is why we believe. Easter Sunday destroys this. Easter Sunday destroys self-righteousness and devastates superiority. On your own, you never said Sunday's coming. On your own, you never proclaimed he is risen indeed. Not until God revealed it to you. For those who are not yet followers of Christ, I can't help but believe that he is calling you by name like he did Mary. And I don't know what that sounds like or looks like in your life. I don't know how he's revealing the resurrection to you. It could be through the preaching of the gospel. It could be through a timely phone call from a friend through the prayers of a church. Maybe it's through a dream. Maybe it's through a sunrise. Maybe it's all of these things combined and many, many more. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. The call, once he reveals this to you then, is to follow your risen Savior. Would you pray with me?